Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. Second Take Tuesday, it's back. Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. I ask you how you were feeling on Monday. I ask you again, copy and paste. How are you feeling on a Tuesday after the Carolina Panthers got molly whopped? 27 to nothing. But good news, it's just a preseason game. So it doesn't count towards the regular season whatsoever. I wonder if that fact has actually seeped in to the fan base mind. 704-570-9610. Feel free to text in any thoughts or comments that you might have. 704-570-9610. Also follow us on social media. The guy you really need to be following above all else is Wes Bryant underscore 72, <laughs> the most active on social media, but also you can follow our show at Wesson Walker. Fitty gave me a stank face and okay, that's fine. You're pretty active on social media tweeting about just personal stuff more so. Like Wes is out here trying to pub the show in a lot of ways and you retweet from the station account from the stuff that you post on the website, but you also put a lot more of your opinions on like Breaking Bad, the most brilliant writing of all time. You'll also just tweet Pete Alonzo was the best power hitter in baseball every third day. So you'll, you'll, you'll tweet some of that stuff out for you. So you are active on social media. Do you have my notifications on? If you've seen one Mets tweet from Fitty, you've seen them all, though. They're not all the same. Now, usually whenever Alonzo goes deep, I send out, he's the can usually just to rile up Braves right. fans. So it's Pete Alonzo. Here's what I see from you. It's Pete Alonzo <laughs> is the best power hitter in baseball, and then it's also that damn apple going up and down anytime somebody goes long ball. That's what I see. Yeah. And the Mets, and this is how baseball is. How many games are left in the season, Wes? 368. So that Ooh. means that means we see 368. We have 368 more days of the Mets tweets of Pete Alonzo being the best power hitter in baseball and that damn apple going up and down. Yeah, That's man. what we see. Man. And so, the video is up today. What, Ron we, Killings. We share. do. So I forgot that you put that one up there. Yeah. You've been sitting on that one a long time. Why did you wait this long? Because he asked me to. Oh, okay. Well, that's all. Okay. If our truth <laughs> asks you to do something then you probably should listen. Yes. And so that's what you did. Go check it out on our socials again at Wesson Walker at West Bryan underscore 72. I'll throw uh, ours out there at Walker Mail and at HTB underscore Josh. Here's the question I want to ask, though, before we start to get to some news coming out of the Indianapolis Colts organization. They've named a starter at QB. We'll get to that in a moment and compare him to Bryce Young. But my question is about T-shirts because Wes got excited when I brought in a high school basketball T-shirt. Yeah, I brought it all the way back. It's not the oldest T-shirt that I own, but it is the question I want to ask you today. What is the oldest T-shirt that you still own slash wear? Like, I don't know if I want a T-shirt from your childhood that you can't wear that is just like stowed away in the shed or storage somewhere. I want to know what you actually might put on and wear every once in a while. 704-570-9610. I subscribe to the theory that you can never have enough t-shirts. Nope. It's a problem between me and my girlfriend because I am a hoarder when it comes to clothes. And that's how it is with t-shirts. Fitty, does one come to mind when I ask you, what is the oldest t-shirt you have? I have, no, it was a, a hand-me-down from my dad, but I have a 1993 national championship shirt that I wear like as a pajama type of shirt. Oh, it's like I wore that t-shirt, one of them, the 1993 uh, championship t-shirts, and that was the most compliments I've ever gotten from you. Yeah, and I only wear it during, only during basketball season. 
It's, like, it's the only time it comes out, and it's more like a like a, a around the house pajama shirt. But it's one that I, I've had. I know I've had it for 15 years. Okay, that's a long time, especially for you and and you young bloods out there. What about you, Wes? What's an old T-shirt you have? Yeah, I've got a. Uh, I told you before the show. I have an old uh, Vance High School Iron Cats. Uh, it's actually a crop. I cut it in half. Uh, so <laughs> All you gotta go is Ezekiel Elliott. Muscle you man. Got. Yeah, it's the shirt that you get for uh, lifting a certain amount of combined weights and from attendance to a summer workout session. Uh, so I feel like we're gonna learn people's ages here because Hunter wrote in that the oldest T-shirt he has is his 2009 UNC National Champs shirt. Because 2009, you know, I guess it's when I was in high school, but I, I definitely owned some older ones than that. I even have my old middle school hoodie. But again, remember, you've heard me call myself Fat Walker back in the day. So I was wearing XL, and then I slimmed, but I grew, and so I can still wear some of those XLs that I was able to wear in middle school. All right, let's talk a little bit more about the Carolina Panthers. Second take Tuesday. We'll get to that in a moment, but we have some news to get to regarding the rookie QB class. Let's talk about that while getting off the bus. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Damn! Kick it! I can feel it. It's official. All the first-round QBs taken in this past draft class will be playing week one and starting as soon as they step onto an NFL football field. Anthony Richardson, the latest to be named the starter for the Colts. We already knew Bryce Young was going to be starting week one for the Carolina Panthers. And C.J. Stroud will be starting for the Houston Texans. Wes, I ask you, who's in the best situation to win week one? Who's in the best situation going forward through uh, their rookie year? Ooh, that's a good question, but I'm going to stick with Bryce Young. Uh, hopefully the offensive line has a better showing on Friday night and throughout the rest of this preseason, but if the offensive line can hold up, uh, this team still has, to me, the most adequate set of weapons on offense, and then you talk about defensively what Carolina could bring to the table, so uh, the other teams, when you talk about the Colts, now the Titans also in a situation where this is a playoff caliber team, especially if they can get good quarterback play as well. So I think it's neck and neck between those two, but I would go uh, with Bryce because Tennessee right now, they seem to be a little bit on the decline, uh, but you still got Derrick Henry and D-Hop is there now and, and all of those guys. So we'll see. So just to let you guys know too, by the way, Anthony Richardson will be playing Jacksonville in week one. C.J. Stroud will be playing on the road against Baltimore. And so those are two tough opponents for the other quarterbacks that were taken within the top five. So then if you start to go and look at, well, Bryce Young, if the offensive line plays like they did in preseason game number one, then you can't feel good about Bryce. But we all know that it's not too, it's not too much of the time to panic right now. But also you have Atlanta week one for Carolina. So you have the easiest opponent. And we've all thought that Bryce Young was going to be in the better situation of all the guys drafted in the top five anyway. I think that's what's going to go great for Bryce. It's that you have a an, you have an opponent that doesn't have that great of a pass rush either with Atlanta. One of the weak points that they have. Defensively, they were able to make some moves. You know, you have Grady Jarrett. They got Jesse Bates over the offseason. But Jacksonville... They're playing for the playoffs. We could see Trevor Lawrence have his breakout season finally with the second season under Doug Peterson. And with Baltimore, Lamar Jackson, they done got him some weapons over there in yes, Baltimore. Yes, they did. And so now you're talking about an offense that could have much more of an aerial attack than we've seen in quite some time. And we know Baltimore is just always a really sound football team. Bryce is clearly in the best situation to win week one. And I would say to win more games than the other two QBs. 
throughout their rookie season. Is there really any debate? I guess C.J. Stroud, I don't know if anybody's going to point to the Texans and saying Houston is really going to compete and against Levis Carolina. And Levis is not going to start. And Levis isn't going to start. So that's the reason why I'm not really putting Will Levis in this conversation. Anthony Richardson is interesting to me because if you have the offensive line for the Colts, go back to what they were two years and really what we've come to know them as instead of last year where they just fell off of a cliff. If that offensive line comes back and plays like they did two years ago, that's going to go a long way. I think you and I both believe in the system that Shane Steichen is going to implement with Anthony Richardson. Shane Steichen, we saw what he was able to do with Jalen Hurts along with Jalen Hurts' own progression. But now you have Hurts um, as one of the best quarterbacks in all of the NFL, and it was predicated off of a run game, but also Jalen slung that thing last year, man. So can you see Anthony Richardson, now that we know Steichen has the blueprint, maybe you can even have that accelerated, having it already worked with Jalen Hurts, you apply that now to an Anthony Richardson. I, I still think it's Bryce and pretty comfortably winning more games with Carolina than what the Colts are going to do in the AFC South, especially when you add in the lack of strength within the division. But I, I do wonder if the Colts can surprise people this year with their rookie, quote-unquote, raw prospect at QB. Yeah, well, especially if you can get a healthy Jonathan Taylor. That will go a long way towards making this offense more potent. You've heard about what Josh Downs is doing out there. Michael Pittman uh, is, is there as well. And we know a couple of years ago, this was a pretty good defense. Now, hopefully Shaq Leonard can come back and be a semblance of what uh, he once was as well because we know that he's been battling injuries. But this is a talented team as well, and they could surprise. I'm really excited to see how these rookie QBs are going to perform. All three of them. C.J. Stroud is the one that is the least exciting to me because Anthony Richardson is the most athletic quarterback prospect we've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And Bryce Young plays here, and he's also one of the smaller guys. I don't think there is any novelty with C.J. Stroud. there's I don't think there's anything unique about him. Where there's something unique about Bryce, nobody's that small. There's something unique about Anthony Richardson. Nobody's that athletic. With C.J. Stroud, great passer, but one of the more prototypical good quarterback prospects coming out of college. And you have some interesting situations offensively, right? How much of an advantage is that, Wes? With Bryce Young working with an offensive-minded head coach that's already done it before in Frank Reich, and Anthony Richardson working with an offensive-minded head coach in Shane Steichen, who no hasn't coached in the NFL as a head coach, but also was the offensive coordinator for a team that went to the Super Bowl last year. Is that another reason to point to an advantage for those two QBs other than CJ? No doubt, because they're going to be an offensive-minded coach. I mean, plain and simple. You get defensive coaches out there, and they just want to protect the football. Don't turn the ball over. They treat the football like it's a fragile egg out there on the field, as you always should. But offensive coaches are going to be more creative. They're going to be more innovative in what they want to do to be able to cater the offense to the rookie, but still letting them uh, get out there and shine. And so I think that's what's going to help them the most because defensive coaches have a tendency to be too cautious. All right. We have some great text answering the question, what is the oldest t-shirt that you own and still wear? It can't be stowed away, never to be seen again. Something that you still have available to wear if you wanted to tomorrow. 704 has an 89 Hugo's Heroes t-shirt from old school Duke Power. Not the Duke energy of today. See, we're getting some great answers in here. Hugo's Heroes, fantastic. I still call it Duke Power. Yeah, I do too, honestly. I still do. 704 also said two shirts. Chipper Jones t-shirt from my middle school years and a 1990 96 Atlanta Olympic shirt. 
That's pretty fire. That the, is. The 96 Olympic shirt would be fantastic. 704. Hey, this is Hoosier Daddy. Emphasis on Hoosier, Indiana native. Oldest t-shirt is a 1991 Lollapalooza t-shirt, mm. and it still fits. I was in Chicago when Lollapalooza was happening. Let me tell you, I was not ready for the kind of crowd I was going to be surrounded by. <laughs> Very different Lollapalooza crowd. Our friend Myron Goodman said the oldest t-shirt he still wears is a shirt from the 1994 Final Four in Charlotte. See, I don't have one from 94 because I was not even two years old. I'm trying to think because I talked about the Vans shirt, but I never wear that. But as far as what I do wear, because I'm a big spring cleaning guy, man. I'll go through every spring. It's, and Look, I can't throw away a lot of my t-shirts. I should. But again, I told you, I subscribe to the theory that I can never have too many. And so, Are you a hoarder walking now? I am a little bit. I am. It's a, it's a real problem. I really do. Alright, we'll answer some of those other texts regarding what is the oldest t-shirt that you still have and where. We'll also go to the first edition this season of Second Take Tuesday. Was it as bad as we thought in preseason game number one? We'll talk about it next. Weston Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. WFNZ. Text us 704-570-9610. Easy to do. We're asking what's the oldest t-shirt you own. We got, I mean, tons of answers. Cowherd wrote in, I got a t-shirt from McClintock, McClintock Middle School that I still wear. I played defensive end, and I was about the same size I am now. That was 28 years ago. <laughs> now, I thought I had a bad, because that would have been in middle school for me. I would have been, uh, I guess that would have been 20 years ago. So 28 years ago, still having that same t-shirt, just a little bit worse than me. Or better, depending on how you look at it. 910, a 2004 ACC tournament shirt. Those are the best. That's pretty dope. Just the random tournament shirts that you have. I mean, those are the best ones. Fitty, was it 05 when Jarrett Jack hit the buzzer beater to beat North Carolina? Or was that, oh, that was 05, right? That was the championship year that they lost to oh, Georgia Tech. I, it was either it was either 04. Because if it's 04, then that one. 05 is, felt like the, a Boston College loss to, or in the ACC tournament. All right, we're going to have to. We're gonna let, have let, to let me look it up. All right, go ahead, Drum. Get our research. I, I oh, like referring to. <laughs> don't don't insult me like that. Oh, that's not an insult. Drum really helped us out those um, days that he was in here shadowing. Okay. I'm just, I don't think, I think he did. I, I'm not hating on Drum. Uh, Jackson wrote in 18 wins and one giant loss. The giant Super Bowl shirt in 07 versus the Pats. That's a great shirt. Also, David from Charlotte said he has a dare shirt from the fifth grade. That's lit. <laughs> Yeah, I was a dare counselor. That's fantastic. Ooh, what you was have, that like? Yeah, that. what was that like? I mean, it was cool. We, we just, one time they took us, which it was great for me because I got to get out of school. They took us around to a um, elementary school 
to talk to the kids about the dangers of drugs. Well, questions it, were always what's true. great is that when I was going through some rejoins last night, I'm, we're going to be putting some rejoins out there, just some of the better moments from our show's history. Mm-hmm. And one of them was your fire fizzle about the superhero. And I, it was Braveheart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you had the emphasis of, he was smoking that spin. <laughs> and then he died. We need more shows like that. I was like, wait, why do we need more shows about that? <laughs> Y'all, the questions so we got as we went down the grade levels were just off the chain. By the time we got to kindergarten and first graders. It was just a bleep show, the questions that they were asking. <laughs> I bet it was. Um, scrolling, scrolling, some of the answers that we have on the text line while Drum comes up with our research analysis. <laughs> what do you have over there? It was a loss to Georgia Tech in 05. 78-75 yeah. to the five-seed Yellow Jackets. Jared Jack, top of the key, just inside the three-point line. So just inside there. But that's what it was. And, uh, yeah, I remember that moment. At least they got the national championship over Illinois right then and there. All right, let's go to second take Tuesday. Second take Tuesday. Tuesday, something that we did last year worked real well. It allows us to take a breather the first day after a Panthers win or a loss, just 24 hours, maybe a little bit more level-headed analysis. We try to provide that with some emotion the first day, but now we'll give it to you a little bit more logically the second day. A couple plays that I have for you here, Wes, if you just want to go, I'm going to start defensively because the Jets started on offense in this game in the preseason. Mm -hmm. So defensively where I want to go with, it's actually a positive. How about Amari Barno to start the second quarter? Somebody that people have been asking about a lot. I think Amari Barno has been the most asked about Carolina Panther outside of your stars on the team. And he delivered with a sack where he beats a double team where he's really just fast enough to give an inside move. Sets Makai Becton up on the outside. Goes on the inside very quickly. Zach Wilson has zero time. And they can't account for the speed and athleticism that Amari Barno shows on that pass rush. So to start the second quarter, and it was on a third and nine. There were a couple of plays where this could have, believe it or not, gotten worse for Carolina, at least defensively. And Amari Barno showing up, bringing Zach Wilson to the ground for a 15-yard loss because he just shoots out of a cannon. We're looking for things on the edge rusher at the edge rusher position to help us out long term. And I'm not saying Amari Barno is going to be the guy that shows up on the opposite side of Brian Burns five years from now when he's someone that's going to make a big old second contract. I don't want to get it too twisted. But we have been looking uh, for ways to manufacture some pass rush. And you got a sign of that from someone that the Panthers fans had been asking about. Brandon Smith was bad. My next play I'll get to takes a look at Brandon Smith. Lots of people asking about him, but I'm glad that Amari Barno showed us something, Wes. Yeah, he did, and so that was a great move on that pass rush. He beat two defenders, split them right down the middle, and that's the thing you like to see. They couldn't you catch don't up. See him. Yeah, you don't want to see him getting schemed to where he has, you know, just a, a free run at the quarterback and is able to go in there and make the play. He really did show you something right there and show you the type of ability. Can he continue that? Can It doesn't have to be sacks all the time, but can he do enough to bother the quarterback in some of these preseason games coming up? Can he do enough to get some tackles for loss uh, coming up? And so the thing I think about, just a couple of uh, plays off the top of my head, was for one, early in the game, uh, J.C. Horn, when he missed uh, the tackle, I know that his uh, tackle numbers, when you look analytically, sometimes that's an area of struggle for him. And then you think about Jamie Robinson uh, with the with the tackle that he missed as well. And it kind of points to them having that 54.6 tackling grade according to PFF. And so there were a few instances, like I said, where they 
could have had plays that they could make, and that play was not made. I remember uh, Grugier Hill. Am I mispronouncing? Grugier. Grugier. Grugier Hill uh, also had another one in the hole that he could have gotten uh, a tackle for loss. And Steve Smith talked about that on the broadcast and said, well, you know, the thing he took from it was at least that he was there to make the play. And then by the time the season comes, hopefully uh, he can make that Because I thought, honestly, I thought Kamu played well in this game. Yeah. I, I did. Yeah, that play. I, yeah, I'm trying to remember that play. Maybe that's just what I missed. But I did think he flashed and, and really pursued the football wherever it was. Mm-hmm. I thought he played pretty well. Now, the other linebacker I mentioned, that's one I'll go to on the negative side, right? I gave you a positive on defense. And I thought there were plenty to work with, by the way, defensively, at least within the starters who were out there. But boy, that third and two to close out the second quarter for the Jets. So Abanaconda goes up the middle for 27 yards. And on that play, he could have been tackled right at the line to gain. Probably still would have picked up the first down. But Brandon Smith just whiffs, man. And so if you look at that play, right? Abanaconda, it's the, it's the play that he scores the touchdown, but then it gets reversed. So he's really down at like the two or the one yard line. Brandon Smith has a chance right there in that gap. Mano a mano. Bring him down for a minimal gain. Doesn't make the tackle. And you give up a monster touchdown eventually to close out that half. And DJ Johnson also held in check by the offensive line. So it was a counter. I think everybody's moving to the right. Mm -hmm. And then Abanaconda gets it, or excuse me, going to Abanaconda's left. Mm -hmm. He gets it going to the right. And DJ Johnson just doesn't make enough of a play. I thought maybe he could have, but the offensive lineman does a good job of holding him in check. Really, it was about Brandon Smith. And of course, we can easily see the significance of that big old run. It set them up for a touchdown play rather than possibly holding them to a field goal. Because even if they get that first down, you're within 30 seconds of play within the first half. And so if you just keep them in front of you the whole time, then you might just allow a field goal. But that was a bad play by the defense, especially Brandon Smith missing that tackle. And it's why I believe he was the second worst graded Carolina Panther, only second to Michael Jordan in this game. Yeah, and so I'm going to look at when you talk about a positive from the game, uh, I'm going to talk about Sam Franklin uh, coming in there, making some of the plays that he did. He looked pretty good out there when he got the interception as well and I know that he's known as a special teams guy and so a lot of people are kind of just wondering if he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to step up, step up and be a part of that secondary uh, to be frank and so I thought he made that play and he had another uh, pretty good play on the afternoon as well to show that maybe he can be more than a special teams guy and so uh, you, you wonder how great of a chance does he have to make this roster because you think about in preseason games when guys do make plays, how much the coaches put it in context because you'll see guys who will ball out during the preseason and get cut, and you'll be like, well, what happened? He scored like two or three touchdowns, or he made this amount of sacks or something like that. So uh, for Sam Franklin Jr., he had a nice, uh, I guess you can't call it a coming out party, but he had a nice first preseason game, and we'll see if he can continue to stack up on that. And Eric Rowe had some physical plays uh, as well. He shot out of a uh, cannon. Yeah. Not one defensive uh, on that one play yeah. that he had. Yeah, it was a nice tackle from Eric Rowe. If you just want to go to some other standouts. Man, I, I actually came away more impressed with Dante Jackson than I was yesterday. So we mentioned the two plays in a row, right? When Zach Wilson leads the team to go and score a field goal on the first drive of the of the game that they have. Catches up with the McCole Hardman. 
is in coverage when you have the intended target to Alan Lazard. But I forgot that he also made a tackle in the run game when Michael Carter breaks through the second level and Dante Jackson's right there. We know that Dante is a little bit of a smaller guy. We know that the advanced stats don't always point to him being a great tackler. I think Dante is a willing tackler. It just doesn't mean that he's always great at it. But right there, he brought Michael Carter down for a loss. No, I don't want him to even get to a point where it has to be Dante Jackson making that tackle. But at least he did. And I think that's why PFF graded Dante so highly. You can see it pretty easily if you go back and watch the film on what Dante did. Mm -hmm. If we have questions about him, you at least feel good about what he did in preseason game number one. But just like I'm not going to overreact to some poor play, I'm also not going to overreact to what was very good play, in my opinion, from Dante. Got to bring it to the regular season. Let's move on to the offense here. The first drive... It was the only first down that you saw from Bryce Young. Mm -hmm. The rest were immediately over as soon as he took the football field. And I thought one of the big plays on the first uh, drive, nobody was really talking about. So they were set up with a second and five, Wes, at the Carolina 40. You were in shotgun, and Hayden Hurst draws a penalty. It's a false start. So after a five-yard pickup on first down, you pick up a second and five. It turns into a second and ten. That would end with a DJ Chark incompletion. My question is, what happens if Hayden Hurst doesn't jump? So second and five, pretty favorable matchup for the offense after a five-yard pickup. That was two DJ Chark. Tight coverage. Bryce delivers it. No separation, but still, you're able to pick up a nice gain. So if it's second and five, you run it with Chuba. Maybe you set yourself up for a third and short. I'm not saying a second and ten is insurmountable. You would like your offense to be able to come back from that every now and then. But it's certainly different than second and five. So if Hurst doesn't jump, then is it as ugly? Do we have a score to talk about? Do we have the Panthers moving past midfield? Do we have that at least to talk about? That penalty, while I don't expect Hayden Hurst to draw a ton of penalties throughout the regular season, that one really affected the morale and how we talked about what Bryce Young and that unit did and done. The first drive was done, and then we know that he wouldn't do anything in the next two series. That's all it takes, man. It's just a, a penalty on a big down like that. Football so situational. Who knows what could have happened had he not jumped. So you don't want to see that, especially from a veteran tight end. But that's why it's preseason. This is the time to be able to get those mistakes out. Uh, and then just looking at something else defensively that that's something to fix going forward or something I'm sure that they'll look at is the screen game. I felt like the Jets were very successful uh, in the spring game and a lot spring game in the screen game. And a lot of times that's due to over pursuit. They were four for four had 37 yards on us. So they averaged about nine yards per attempt every time Well, nine yards every time they ran a screen play. So I thought that kind of hurt them as well. So you brought up the screen game. I, I brought that up yesterday. Shaq Thompson, Frankie Luvu, maybe a miscommunication. And I think it was Frankie just late on that Michael Carter 25-yard reception. So it was a, I believe it was a third down. It was yeah. a third and short. Mm -hmm. And I think Frankie just got caught sleeping where Car Carter's coming out of the backfield. Nothing crazy. I mean, they, they had a crosser, and so maybe he was paying attention. But he and Shaq are right there in the middle of the field. Right. There's just not any spacing there. And then Zach Wilson hits Carter at the line of scrimmage, and he's got daylight. I mean, he's got days to run, and that's what he did. That's what that's, uh, set them up to take a shot to McCole Hardman that Dante Jackson 
and was able to break up. And you so, definitely want to see that shore up because we know those 100%. linebackers, as good as Luvu and uh, Shaq can be in the run game and, and out there being physical, that the coverage has got to get better this season, too. Yeah, just it, it just looked like they were sleeping on that. Just completely unaccounted for was Michael Carter. The next play I'll go to, the only other offensive play that I have on second take Tuesday. So just when the second quarter began, you had a third and four for Carolina. All right, so third and short. Carolina could be able to pick it up. Bryce Young sacked for nine yards. And that's the play that Michael Jordan got beat so soundly on. Just zero resistance on Jefferson, who was able to bring Bryce Young down for the sack. I wanted to see what would happen in an alternate universe as we'd like to do. So if Michael Jordan just provides any resistance whatsoever, can you hold your guy for a second? Because it wasn't even a second Michael Jordan was able to hold Jefferson. The linebacker for the Jets had a choice to make between Mingo coming across over the middle and Chuba Hubbard coming out of the backfield. Seems like he chooses Chuba. And so Mingo, he's just two yards in front of the, the line to gain. If Bryce Young has any time, I'm talking any, he's able to hit Mingo and then you get a first down. But Jordan gets beat so soundly. There's a nine yard loss and the Carolina Panthers, they have to punt and Jordan just gets beat one on one. They called that out on the broadcast, too. It wasn't a blitz, wasn't any kind of stunt, anything like that. Just straight up mano a mano. Michael Jordan, your turn to go block for Bryce Young and doesn't do a good job, as we all know. It's why. He has been the number one guy everybody's paying attention to as to uh, who uh, brought out the worst performance. So that was one where I thought Mingo was coming across over the middle. You pick that first down up and then maybe you could provide some momentum. Yeah. And so another positive to the one I'll give here is is Derek Wright and the way he came in there and played during the football game. He had three catches for 35 yards, but he showed a little bit of promise and he was getting it done on the outside. Uh, When going to the right, he had a catch for 15 yards and then outside left. He had two catches for 20 yards. So he was out there showing that he was capable of making some plays and showing that he may be uh, a sleeper wide receiver on this roster uh, when it's all said and done, trying to give himself a chance to be able to make this football team. Yeah, do you, How much of a shot do you give him? It's a tough position to make it. It's a tough position to make it. I mean, again, with anything in the preseason, you have to just keep stacking up those performances, man. And if he can do that, like I said, 100% reception rate on the day, three for three three targets three catches so he's just got to keep putting those together man because you never know hopefully injuries don't strike but you just never know how a training camp could turn out and so this is the guy that's showing that he's at least willing to step up and make some plays in the early going all right we have a couple of other texts about the oldest t-shirt you own tk from high point said they still have an nc state pe shirt from 1978. Oh, wow. That's really cool. 1978 NC State PE shirt. And Jack wrote in, I got a Byron Mullins Carolina Cougars jersey um, from the 7-59 and 59 year. No, I'm not selling. I know what I got. <laughs> I'll stop typing my DM now just to see how much you were going to sell it for. Apologize I still have, to Jack. I, I, and I guess, too, the more I've, I've cycled my brain, I do still work out in my Wake Forest football short sleeve uh wiki shirt I, I still work out in that do you still do you do the michael jordan thing where whatever pants you wear do you wear your old wake forest shorts <laughs> no. under whatever pants you wear no i don't do that mm, you should 
You should. You should uh, pay homage to your playing days. I still at have Force. all that stuff, though. Polos, warm-ups, all that. All right. And it's triple X, so I don't wear it like that anymore. Yeah, it's a little different for me because I have my high school stuff, but you actually have college stuff, so it might fit <laughs> you a little bit better. Although, man, you were big back That's then. That's what I'm saying. I was 300 back then. Yeah. So it definitely does not uh, the same. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a little different for me where I was big back then and then I lost some weight, but I grew taller. Like, uh-huh. nah, you were just 300, 300 and what, 15 was the most you got? The most, but that lasted for a week. Yeah. 305 was the uh, weight. They don't, they don't get much bigger than that, man. 6'4", <laughs> 315, that's a big dude. All right, that'll do it for Second Take Tuesday. Let's move on to the collegiate ranks. Let's talk some campus corner ESPN college football top 100 drops. Do you have an issue with where Drake May is placed on this list? Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ Campus Corner coming up next. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. We're back. This is the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 927. WFNZ, hit us up on that text line, 704-570-9610. Just a couple of texts on there. My man on the 704 number posted that he still wears a Rolling Stones shirt from RFK Stadium, 1982. Okay, Jeff from Charlotte. He said that. And <laughs> the concert K- t-shirts are cool. Yeah, K-Town Steve said he still has his Larry Johnson Hornets jersey from the year he was drafted. That's that's pretty nice right there. Yeah, because everybody will get the Larry Johnson jersey now, and they'll order it off of Mitchell and Ness, <laughs> and it looks fantastic. But if you got the OG, like, no, I got this in 1992. Original. Yeah, that's that brings a little different flavor to it. Yeah, man. So let's uh, go over to the campus. Come on. All right. ESPN dropped their top 100 college football players of 2023. Caleb Williams was number one. Drake May, where many thought would be number two, is number five. How do we feel about Harold Perkins, Marvin Harrison Jr., and Brock Bowers, in addition to Caleb Williams, all being ranked ahead of one Drake May. Well, look, I, I forgive me for not knowing the game for Harold Perkins nearly as well, but I definitely know a Marvin Harrison Jr. and I definitely know a Brock Bowers, and those guys are being tabbed as among the best prospects going into the NFL draft as well with just how productive Bowers is as a tight end. And Marvin Harrison Jr. is Jamar Chasey in the way that he could be a top-five pick if he came out a year early but is not eligible to, and so you have to wait a year, and Jamar Chase just decided, look, man, I ain't going to play. I'm not going to get hurt because I know what I'm going to be in the NFL. And he was right on that. Marvin Harrison Jr. is that type of wide receiver. And we've seen him play to that kind of level. I don't have any problem with those two guys. Harold Perkins, I'm not going to speak because I don't necessarily know as much about him. But it doesn't bother me as much. It's funny to me, like Drake May is the fifth best prospect or the fifth best player in all of college football. And there are some people that might 
see that as a slight. Like, no, he's a top five guy as a QB at North Carolina. He's probably still going to get drafted at least in the top three, depending on what you feel about Marvin Harrison Jr. as an NFL draft prospect. Do you think it's too low, Wes? Uh, I definitely do, and so I'm going to go to Fiddy on this after I say my piece. But uh, Harold Perkins is a Micah Parsons type. This is a menace off the edge. A lot of people are very high on him. He was a five-star coming out of high school, and this is a guy that a lot of people are hyping. It's just a complete terror off the edge, so he will probably go top five. Uh, in the NFL draft when it is his time as well. Marvin Harrison Jr., I do love him. Brock Bowers, I do love him as well. But come on, man, in the grand scheme of things, when you have a quarterback that's touted as a generational type of prospect, then no, I I can't put those guys over uh, Drake May. I, I just can't. And I know that the way Drake May ended the season was not great, but I'm still going to put faith in him to come out and look the way that he looked in the first 10 games and not the last uh, not the last games of his season. And so with that said, no, nah, I, I don't agree with that You think he should uh, be second? Yeah, I think he should be number two. No doubt think, about buddy? it. If college teams had their choice of players in a pool, I would guarantee you well, that Caleb Williams is going to go one and Drake May is going to go two. How much, how much of it is it the fact that he plays QB, though? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no doubt. But, I mean, the fact that he can be very, very dominant at that position is the most important position in all of sports. So, to me, that trumps a tight end. And I love wide receivers as well. And a pass rusher is very important. But, come on now, we're talking about a quarterback. What do you think, Fitty? Yeah, I mean, it's no surprise that I do think that that's a little bit low. You could sell me on him being behind Harold Perkins because I watched that man single-handedly beat Arkansas a year ago. You know, Wes compared him to Micah Parsons. That's that's the goodest comparison as you're going to find. That's how dominant he was on a very bad defense. And look, Marvin Harrison Jr. might be the best wide receiver that the Ohio State has produced in the last decade. And that's saying something. And Brock Bowers is a great tight end for Georgia. But, I mean, Drake May, like like Les said, he's a generational talent. Like, he, he's going to be the face of someone's franchise. Marvin Harrison might be. There's never going to be a, a, a situation where a tight end is the face of the franchise, let alone the face of a college football program. So, I think he should be third. Like, you, you could sell me on Harold Perkins being two. because See, I can't even that do man. that because Harold Perkins had, I mean, he had eight and a half sacks. He's a good, really good player. The, the, no. guy, the guy that I have no problem ranking above him is Marvin Harrison Jr. Filthy. Well... What? But, I mean, like, a lot of that is, like, look at the, the, the system that he's in. And but the, is he that much better than Olave? Sorry, Fiddy. I'm sorry. No, 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 Go no, ahead, no, brother. No, but I'm, I'm kind of just arguing with Walker. Like, I, I, like, no, Drake May should be – he should probably be number two when you look at the numbers that Harold Perkins put together last year with only eight and a half sacks. That LSU defense that was atrocious, that's why it's been revamped via the transfer portal. I think May comes in five because the last four games he was pedestrian. Yeah, I mean, I do think Marvin Harrison, he's being talked about better than Chris Olave and a Garrett Wilson. And Garrett Wilson was an offensive rookie of the year, and Chris Olave, was he that for the NFC? I don't Anyways, we know that Chris Olave could win it, and we could see him have a big old breakout season even more so this year. Yeah, Marvin Harrison, I he's going to be... I mean, even in some of these NFL mock drafts, he's going second overall above Drake. I don't think that happens because you're right. I think when it comes to a prospect, who you want to build your team around. Is Matt Millen still an NFL GM? (laughs) (laughs) If so, that would help. But yeah, if Drake May, Drake May is going to go second because we all know that a QB is going to be somebody that you want to build your football uh, football team around more so. But I I, I don't mind Marvin Harrison being up. Then the ACC also rounds out the top 10. Jordan Travis clocked in at number eight. Jared Verse 
came in at number nine. There's Michael then, Penix at six. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt about <laughs> it. And so when you go down the list, though, Clemson's Will Shipley, a guy, hometown kid. I feel like we don't talk about him enough. He checks in at number 26, all ACC team at three different positions last year, second in the league last season in all-purpose yards per game. Is he the best non-quarterback uh, offensive player in the ACC, in your opinion? Doesn't scream that to me. I think of Trey Benson as someone who could just have a monster season for Florida State. This is someone that led the league last year in, in broken tackle rate. And you've even talked about this, Wes. Like, honestly, maybe you've even influenced me. So you might be arguing with yourself as well. <laughs> but when we've talked about Will Shipley, you and I both have talked about him being a good running back, mm -hmm. but not a phenomenal one. And I do think Trey Benson has the type of ability for Florida State to just go nuclear this season. Yeah, I don't know. Will Shipley doesn't scream, oh, this is the guy that is going to be the best offensive player outside of a QB in the ACC. Well, the thing is, he's pretty good. When you look across the league, Trey Benson's still going to have to split with those other FSU backs. I don't know that he gets to the numbers that Will Shipley could. Shipley also has to split some carries with Phil Maffa in that backfield. So there's another uh, deal for him. But to be a guy that made all ACC in three different positions preseason, he was also voted in much the same way. I don't know how much they'll have him back there as a return man. But when you look at the rest of the league, as far as just the players coming back and who's going to be the most dominant, uh, I, I think that he definitely has a case because a wide receiver, there's no true superstars out there at the moment. There are some good wide receivers, but not necessarily great ones. And to me in the league, he's clearly the best running back coming into this season. Well, maybe not clearly because Trey Benson has a case as well. But I think still at the end of the day, when you talk about production, Trey Benson was 102 total yards uh, per game. Shipley rushed for 1182. Benson rushed for 990. I believe Benson missed a game or so, and he also has the split. Yeah, he played carries. one less. He played one less than Will Yeah, Shepard. yeah, yeah. And so then, uh, but I, I like Trey Benson as well, but I, I would go Shipley as the best non-quarterback coming into the season uh, offensively. But, Fiddy, what say you? Do you think that uh, Will Shipley's an underrated guy? Do you think 26 too high, too low, what? Uh, I think he's properly rated. I think if, you know, if he were to come back and play college football again next year, this number would be much, uh, I guess, Lower, but like, I mean, because he'd be a higher rated player because right. I think he's going to be a freak in, in Garrett Riley's offense. If, if Cade Klubnik hits, if, if, if Cade isn't the quarterback that I think he's going to be, I think you'll see Will Shipley still put up good numbers, but won't be the monster he's going to be because you have subpar quarterback play. All right. Well, when we come back, team week continues. We look at the NC State offense. Can Brennan Armstrong and Robert and I get the job done in Raleigh? That and more on the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7. WFNZ.